What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me back today on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And today on the show, we're going to recap what was an epic signing day for our Georgia Bulldogs. Yes, we know this is a few days late, but uh, as I laid out on our last show, the holiday season and kind of the associated travel with all that kind of somewhat wreaked havoc on our recording schedule Kurt and I, we've both been all over the place, uh, but it's Christmas Eve, uh, and we were finally able to carve out some time where we could both sit down and recap the early signing period. So we definitely apologize for being a little bit late with the show, but we're hoping that the show today will be a case of better late than never, hopefully. Uh, but first, just a couple quick reminders for everyone out there. You guys can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. We'll appreciate the people that follow us and interact with us on Twitter. Uh, if you are not doing so, uh, please feel free to join in on that. Uh, and for some of our newer listeners, we want to make sure everyone knows you can find us on a bunch of different podcasting platforms out there. So whatever's easiest for you guys, we're on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn apps. Also, you can find us on DollSportsRadio.com uh, or download the Radio app to your smartphone. Uh, so find us any of those places. And uh, we appreciate all of you guys taking time out of your day each and every week to listen to our show. And if you get a chance, it would be awesome. A lot of you already done this, and we really appreciate it. But for those of you who haven't, if you get a chance... Uh, I know it's kind of busy around the holiday season, but if you get a chance, it'd be great if you could uh, rate and review the show on your preferred platform. All right, Kurt, let's go ahead and get in this man, not waste any more time. And I mean, you guys all know this by now. You undoubtedly know that Kirby Smart and company just absolutely crushed it uh, during the early signing period last week. Right now, we are sitting at number one in the 247 composite team ratings by a pretty healthy margin uh, over Ohio State as it currently sits. So we all know that it's an epic class. Um, and I don't know, Kurt, does epic, is that even strong enough of a word? Um, no, right now, because, I mean, if we get a couple more guys, which we, you know, what we're planning on, then I think if I read it correctly, it would it, we could make a run for the one of the best classes ever, ever. even could, like, you know, a total rank or t- right. total point-wise against yeah. uh, Alabama from last year. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State a couple years back in the Urban Meyer's first year when he when, yeah, he was the hot name coming in uh, after taking his year off for whatever reason. They had a huge class that year. Alabama's had a couple huge classes in the past decade or so. Uh, but I think you're right, man. I think right now it is an epic class, but depending on how we finish, I mean, it, it could be historic, right? Yeah, and I see the great thing is, I mean – the thing that really makes you feel comfortable is the fact that because of the early signing period, these kids are signed and there's no chance of flipping. Yeah, and a lot of people, there's been a lot of conversation over the past couple weeks, you know, this early signing period, is it good for the kids, is it bad for the kids, whatever. Uh, and I think it probably is better for coaches, right? Because you, you don't have to babysit all these guys on your commit list for months. You go, you, you go ahead and kind of just get them in the bag, right? Yeah, I mean, you got what when it when the dead period ends in uh, January, you've got about less than thirty days, and you could focus on literally maybe ten kids at the most. Put all your attention, and on then that. also go ahead and get even more of a head start on the two thousand nineteen class as well. If you've already got a bunch of your guys signed, we do. And then some of those kids that signed for the twenty eighteen class, this gives you the opportunity to give them the playbook and the weight program and stuff to let them get a head start. Absolutely, and it looks like we have upwards near about ten players that not just that not just sign early, but are gonna, that are going to enroll early, which is huge on top of that uh and you know and so there is a, there's a lot of benefit there i guess there's some of a drawback like you know when you're in the middle of preparing for a national championship game uh or i should say a playoff game hopefully national championship game we'll see uh you gotta kind of sit here and i mean you're always gonna be you, the thing is you like people argue but say well it, it's really tough on coaches right now to have to worry about when you're trying to prepare for a bowl game and also have your recruit but don't even with before the early time period didn't coaches always and spend a lot of time recruiting during this time of year anyway that, that's what that's that yeah, that narrative's really, really bothered me because, like, it's just an excuse. I mean, that's, like you said, um, 
the years before, it's not like this was a dead period. No, coaches no. were out on the trail recruiting, getting after kids because you were trying to sign these kids that were going to uh, enroll early. I mean, last year we were doing that with D'Angelo Gibbs and people like that, trying to get them at the last second. Remember, we used to always have the gala during the Mark Rick years. That was our big recruiting weekend of the year. And we, so that when that was during December after the regular season was over. And that would be one of those weeks weekends where we'd bring a bunch of players in for their official visits and we'd try to you know wrap it up with some of those guys. So we were always recruiting in December. Now, sure, it's, it's intensified, I guess, right? A little bit now, but it's not like there was nothing going on in the recruiting front in December anyway before the early signing period. So the, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that narrative that's is the just narrative that really bothers me. Like, it's just these guys were already working, and then this this staff who it is, you're, they were going to grind. It didn't matter when it was; they were always going to grind. And let's be honest, it's not like they wouldn't. They're not the type of coaches that are going to, you know, ignore their responsibilities at home. Oh no! I, I mean, it, as a coach, you you have to balance that anyway. That's just that's your life. That's your job. Well, you have to want to balance that. Not only that. that, but like if you talked, if you read any of the interviews, those guys were using um, the uh, they were using practices to show recruits, you know, what we do. So I mean, their attention was on also running a clean practice. Yeah, it's yeah. just that it's just the life of a coach. You you multitask at all times. I mean, you're and never just doing one thing. That's complaining the most about it is it's not because he. Uh, it's not because um, he's, he's having trouble balancing it. No, it's because of two reasons. First, he likes to go out and recruit after he wins a championship or does something to show sure. off his ring. And the second of all, he lost, lost his defensive coordinator. Right. And because of that, he's, he, he doesn't have enough time to game plan, recruit, and find replacements. Yeah, I think that's that's who this it, is toughest on. It's not because on. of the kids or, or, or know that I can't game plan. It's hard to do both. It's, no, he's just making excuses. Absolutely. I, I, I will say, I think... That's where it, it's difficult for coaches. If, if any coach has a problem, it's going to be the coaches who have just gotten hired at a new school. Like let's say like Tennessee, right, with Jeremy Pruitt, where you've just gotten hired and you have two weeks to try to put together a class, essentially, with all these guys trying to sign early. That makes it very difficult. And I, and I also think one of the, the unintended consequences of that, I think you're going to see more and more coaches get fired mid-season because well, I mean, athletic just have to account for the early signing period. You had to get guys in place. Thing, it's, it's more on the the administration, like you said, because they should it shouldn't have gone like this. Yeah. I mean, they should have fired Butch earlier in the season. That's why you saw places like Florida go ahead and move on. Yeah, they should have fired Butch early in the season. They should not have had an absolute disaster of a coaching well, search. I mean, I, I, you know, look at Mullen. He had a, what, two weeks ahead start on them, and yeah. he did a little bit better. And that's why. I mean, that's sure. more on their administration. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, I don't have as much of a problem with the early signing period as some people tend to out there. I know I know it's easy for us to say we just landed an epic class. Uh, and speaking of that class again, kind of get back to that. Like even where we sit right now, with what looks to be like maybe li- li- probably likely five spots left to fill, and there's some big names still out there. Even right now, it's still what I would call an epic class with a chance to be historic down the road on a couple of months. But I, I do. I think we all know that. But I kind of want to take a second here and put this into a little bit more perspective on just how dominant our recruiting performance was during this early signing period. So here's just a couple things for you guys, and some of you guys probably know some of this, but just to put this in a little bit of perspective. We just landed the number one dual threat quarterback in the country, the number one and number three running backs in the country, the number one and number two offensive guards in the country, the number two offensive tackle in the country, who has happened to be from right out, actually in Knoxville, Knoxville Catholic, uh, the number one and number two outside linebackers in the country, the number two tight end, and the number five inside linebacker. Uh, we signed six five stars according to the 247 composite. And to put that in a little more perspective, we have never, guys, we have never signed more than three five stars in one cycle. We've only done that one time. So we signed six, two, two times as many as we've signed in any other given cycle. Uh, and to kind of top that off, so while we signed six five-stars, the rest of the SEC combined had two. 
two. The rest of the SEC, SEC combined. Alabama had one and LSU had one. So we had three times as many five stars so far than the rest of the SEC combined. We also signed nine of the top 50. The rest of the SEC combined signed three of the top 50. Uh, we signed 10 guys in the top 100. The rest of the SEC East signed two. So we got five times as many top 100 players, according to the 247 composite, than the rest of the SEC East combined. And Florida was, on, was the one that got two, two of the, the other two top 100 players. We signed a total of 18 four- and five-star prospects. The other six teams in the SEC East combined to sign 24. So the, the, the other six teams in the East combined signed six more four- and five-star prospects than we did. So clearly, looking at those numbers there, we absolutely crushed it. And we have separated ourselves, I mean, even, not that we weren't already separating ourselves from the East, but even further from the SEC East. But Kurt, what I want to do here for a second is I want to rewind back to the summer, or the, I guess going into the summer months. When we were getting questions, remember this? Almost every mailbag show, we were getting questions about this class. Remember that? Yeah. So I mean, there was a lot of hand wringing going on. There's a lot of anxiety in our fan base going into the summer after an 8-5 and five season in year one under Kirby Smart. Yeah, we had our best recruiting finish to date. Uh, at the, t- with the I guess at the time back then, with the, t- with the 2017 class, we finished with, uh, number three in the country. Uh, but after that lackluster first season of what was really, let's make no bones about it, it was a very slow start to this 2018 cycle. So because of that, there was a lot of anxiety among the Georgia faithful. We, we lost Trevor Lawrence to Clemson. Justin Fields seemed to be trending elsewhere. A lot of people didn't know where he was going to end up. Britton Cox missed Ohio State. We had Adam Anderson in the bag, but then he flips with his teammates to LSU. Zeus was trending our way, but he still wasn't on the commit list yet heading into the summer. So there was some serious doubt about how we would follow up the 2017 class. But now that signing day has come and gone, we have hopefully learned to trust in King Kirby the first. Uh, but Kurt, coming from where we were entering those summer months back a couple months ago, how did this, this crazy, potentially historic early signing period happen? We went from everyone, you know, wringing their hands, people really up in arms about what was going to happen in this 2018 cycle. How did we go from that to what we just did in this early signing period? I'll be honest, I think this was coming the whole time. We just had people being unrealistic and, you know, jumping to conclusions like, you know, let's be honest, most Georgia fans do. They're, they just, they, the sky is falling when one thing doesn't go their way. And I think that's the biggest thing. If most of the insiders and people like that said that we were still on track to have a good class, that they wouldn't be shocked if we were top five. Just like Brayton Cox. Okay, he commits to Ohio State. Almost all mods, especially recruiting analysts, said this one is not over. You had, and Just like Adam Anderson when he flips, this one is not over. We had a lot of that, and we were in the top for a lot of these guys. Just like Zeus, we were still, even though he hadn't committed, we were in his top three. We were in the top three in the top you know, top five for a lot of these kids, and I think these, the fan base, and you know, they were just getting restless um, for no for you know re, no reason. I mean, if you can go to most recruiting uh, website stuff and go back to the summer with the time you're talking about, you'll see all these people just saying unrealistic, you know, uh, and unreasonable things. And the fact is that they just jumped to conclusions and didn't give this time this class time to develop. Yeah, I, I think you're you're spot on there. And I'm not going to sit here and lie. There there were moments, you know, going back to the first part I mean, of 2018 I where nervous, or 17, I was yes, I was a little nervous at times. People, I was nervous, but you had all these people that were just jumped. We made a mistake with Kirby, and you know that, that's all you heard about. Is all these people complaining? And, you know, I laugh because now all these people are like, "Oh my God, Kirby's the man! Look what he's done! George is back! You know, number one class, and you know, praising him and everything." But you know, to me, they're just hypocrites. Oh, I, I agree with you 100. percent But I mean, there were there were moments there in the early part of the year where I, I was a little uneasy. I was nervous, uh, but to me, I, I never freaked out about it. 
because to me it was all about what we did in the 2017 season. My my thought going into the season in terms of how this class would end up was if we won, if we had a good season, if we could show recruits that we could be better than seven and five in the regular season, that it would it would all fall into place for us. Because those guys they were very open about it. Justin Fields, Jamari Salyer, Britton Cox, all these guys were very very open with why they were hesitant to jump on our train because. They were the negative recruiting against us. And guys, I don't care what you think, negative recruiting, it happens. It's a reality. It's just part of the deal. And the, the narrative against Kirby out there among the other coaches that are with some of these top programs was that Kirby can't win as a head coach. He hasn't shown he can do that. Why would you go there if, if he might just be a creative as a coordinator and you come here and we've proven we can win? Well, Kirby and the rest of the staff, we put all those questions to bed. So to me, the biggest thing that changed this whole process was simply the 2017 season and what we did. Because what Kirby was doing and what any head coach does when they come into a program and kind of start to establish their 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 program and their way of doing things, you sell a vision, right? Like Butch Jones, when he started at Tennessee, he would sell his brick-by-brick brick vision, right? Well, the problem was that with Butch Jones, that brick-by-brick that brick vision, it never came to fruition. So eventually that, those, that pitch starts to fall on deaf ears. Well, Kirby had his vision, just like Butch Jones. A little bit obviously different of a vision than Butch Jones, but the, the major difference was Kirby didn't just sell the vision. He made the vision come to fruition. He made it a reality. And when the players and the prospects see that, then they're like, okay, well, there's why would I not buy in? Why would I not want to be a part of this, you know? So I think yeah, winning... You hear a lot of recruits right now, when they get interviewed, a lot of them say, you know, everything Kirby told us that they were going to do during the summer, they followed through on. Yeah, the vision became reality. Like, all the coaches sell visions, right? Well, the ones who can make their vision turn to reality, that's when you start to bring in epic classes, start to bring in big-time signing classes year in and year out. So now Kirby signed a number three class in 2017, now a number one class, at least as of right now. I'm not sure I see uh, that changing uh, throughout the rest, the next couple of months heading into the February signing period. Uh, and then 2019 is already off with a great start with Jaden Hazelwood. Uh, you got Nolan Smith. Uh, you got Chaney in there. So we've got a lot of guys, Dominic Blaylock, already on board. And we've got a bunch of other big-time guys, Owen Popo, that that are just waiting, it seems like, to potentially jump on board here sooner rather than later. So uh, I, I really think selling that vision and then having that vision come to fruition, actually winning this season, that sealed the deal with this 2018 class. I think a lot of those big-time guys were just waiting to see how we would do. Because that's what the other coaches on other staff are telling them to do. Wait, why don't you, before you commit to Georgia, I know they're in the state school, before you commit there, why don't you wait and see how the 2017 season goes? And the other coaches around the country were banking on Kirby falling on his face. But... Sorry, guys. just didn't happen. just didn't happen. I also think, uh, and tell me if you agree with it, I think the, the, the staff that Kirby has put together, it's an all-around recruiting staff. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's what they are. They, I mean, they're really good recruiters. And not only that, I think this early signing period has kids unsure also. I mean, a lot of these kids were holding off just for the fact that they didn't know what to expect with all of this. Sure, absolutely. And I know we, we've had a lot of good recruiters on staff in the past. I mean, uh, Brian McClendon was a great recruiter. Mike Bobo. Uh, we've had a bunch of good recruiters on staff. But, we've, but every staff that we had with Rick always had a couple of holes in the staff, right? Where you had some guys that were good coaches, but just didn't well, get into the recruiting I mean, like, thing. His last staff, you know, he had some really good recruiters, but none of them liked working with each other. Yeah, if you don't have the chemistry there, that's a major problem. I think Kirby's got the best of both worlds. He's got a, a staff full of recruiters. There is not one – to me, there's not one hole in this staff, all right? Now, some people might say, okay, well, Shane Beamer. Well, Shane Beamer's a tight end coach and just helped us land the, the number two tight end in the country. So I, I don't two, know if I necessarily stars, buy that. Let's be honest. Huh? Two four-stars. Yeah, two four-star guys. So I'm not, I'm not sure I buy him as a weak point. And, and maybe he's not as good of a recruiter as some of the other guys, but that's all relative. I mean, when you're talking about guys like uh, Coley uh, and Sam Pittman – 
Mel Tucker. I mean, these guys are, are uh, Adele McGee. Absolutely, how can you can't forget Adele McGee? These guys are are elite recruiters. So I think Shane Beamer has done a great job with what he's been asked to do. We didn't sign any tight ends last year because we didn't need any, but this year he did a great job. Like you said, getting two four stars and the number two tight in the country out of Illinois, of all places. So I just don't. There's no holes in this staff. They can all recruit. And the guy who wasn't really pulling his weight uh, in Tracy Rocker. Well, what happened to Tracy Rocker? He got fired. He got fired. You can phrase however you want, but he's no longer with the program. Uh, so if you, that's to me, Kirby's put together a staff that can all recruit because he understands the importance of recruiting, and he, he make, he's making sure every one of the guys on staff can recruit. And like you said, also, I think a key point to that, and it's a great point, is that these guys get along fairly well, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of chemistry here, and it's it's all kind of a well-oiled machine right now. And I, I think you got the top, the man at the top, Kirby Smart, to to I guess thank for all that kind of putting together this machine, at least as it sits right now. All right, let's go ahead and get into some of the specific prospects here. We're going to spend a few minutes here. And we're gonna, now, obviously we're going to talk about what happened on uh, the, during the early signing period. And then once we get into February, when it's an official class, it's all wrapped up, we'll, we'll go through all this, all this stuff again. But where we sit right now, Curtis, regardless of ranking, and, and this might be based on a ranking. Maybe you just want to say the guy that was highest ranked on our, on our class in our class is the one you're going to go with here. But regardless of ranking, when you're watching these guys, Kurt, and th- maybe you're thinking about uh, positional needs, all that good stuff, opportunities to play, what was the biggest get of the early signing period for us? Which prospect was the biggest one to land? On defense, I want to go with Adam Anderson and Brenton Cox. Ah, okay. Why? So you're going with the two outside linebackers, number one, number two outside linebackers in the country. Why are you going with those guys? Uh, because we don't have any depth there. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, everyone's been hand-wringing about losing Sharer, but the biggest thing is I, gotta, I, I have to point that out that he has not done a good job building depth at the outside linebacker position. And it's not – and you can't say, well, like some of these people like uh, Scott and Schumann that have only been there for one – this now their second year. He had been at Georgia for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, we did not have much depth there, especially this past year. And now we're going to lose two seniors, and we have no – I mean, we didn't know, we don't really know who's going to be there right now except for, you know, the only two that you can really count on are um, – Walter Grant and uh, Robert Beal, more likely. So, I get, well, DeAndre Walker, right? He'll play a good bit well, next DeAndre year. Walker, yeah, but I'm talking about his younger guys. Oh, younger guys, gotcha, 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 yeah. And, and Beal, um, we don't know what we have in Beal right now. We hope. We, yeah, hope, we hope. We didn't see him at all this year. Exactly. And so I think the biggest thing is that we needed some, and I think Adam Anderson's gonna go, going to be a monster. I think he's going to get a lot of PT as a freshman. And while, while we have Cox as an outside linebacker, I honestly see him – moving into a DM position as he gets bigger, but I think he could be the, the typical of what you saw at Alabama with their stud DMs because he can get big. I mean, the guy is, what, 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, he yeah. could get the size of Ledbetter, but he has so much better footwork and he's off the ball quicker, so I think he's the type of guy that can get pressure. I can't argue with those those at and all. I, those and I think that those, those two things right there can help solve our pass rush problem. Yeah, that, that, and I think that's the one big hole in our defense right now is we just don't do a great job getting a natural pass rush. With our with our front four, we just, if we get pressure, which we do at times, but we have to we have to manufacture and bring extra bodies, which leaves you vulnerable on the back end, which is obviously not ideal when you're playing a team like Oklahoma in a couple of weeks or in a week or so. Man, it's getting close. Uh, for me, I'm not, I'm gonna say the easy way out here. I guess uh, I didn't want to, but I'm gonna say the biggest guy we signed is Justin Fields, and I know there's not as much of a need here. I, I agree with you saying there's more of a need outside linebacker. I think that's unquestionable. You got a guy like Jake Fromm at quarterback and how he's played as a true freshman this year. I don't think there's that that overwhelming need. To have a true freshman come in and play again next year, but I, I'll just, I just say Justin Fields. In my opinion, he is he is one of those potential program changing type recruits. Yeah, he's a transcendent talent. Uh, yeah, I, I think he has that that potential. He's gonna have to do it on the field, but I think he has that type of potential down the road 
very high on uh, what he brings athletically, what he brings from a uh, football IQ standpoint, from a maturity standpoint, from a, a pure physical size standpoint. The guy's 6'3", 220 plus right now and, and runs like he does. Uh, now, and we're talking obviously a lot more about Fields and, and from uh, as we get into the uh, the offseason months, which uh, sucks, man. But we'll talk a lot about that. Obviously, it'll be a big topic of conversation in a lot of places. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not I'll just say right now, I'm not going to write off Jake Fromm at, in any way, shape, or form. That dude. That dude's going to fight for it. For he's going to fight Fields every inch of the way, and he's got a head start on him right now. Uh, and, and Fields might not be the starter next year. He might. And he might have to wait a couple years behind Fromm. I don't know. But I just. I'm going to say whenever Justin Fields gets on the field. Uh, I think everyone better watch out because that dude's he's legit. Jake Fromm's legit too, but Justin Fields, man, like getting a guy like that, uh, not just and it's it's also the 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 kind of cascading effect it has on the rest of the class, right? Like the, it, getting that quarterback and how everyone yeah, wants to follow him. He got when he committed. Yeah, I mean that that's when it kind of took off. We get Justin Fields, and everyone's like, oh, okay, let's pay attention to Georgia, and then we start winning throughout the year, and then we get that momentum just starts to build and build and build. But it really started with getting Justin Fields. So I, for me, that's probably the biggest the narrative year. media, for sure. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and the media, they drive a lot. I mean, the narratives, they, they create the narratives. And you get a guy like Justin Fields, all of a sudden they start talking positive about Georgia in the media. And then, all, of course, all the recruits hear that. And it just kind of creates this cool factor that, that Georgia's maybe an it school. And it just it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Let's just keep let's say it that way. Uh, all right, next question here, Kurt. So that was the biggest get of this early signing period for us. Who would you say was the biggest surprise – of all the guys we landed during the early signing period. Oh, I, I think it's, there's no question it's Nadab Joseph. Yeah, I didn't, did you see that at all? Was that even a guy on your radar? No, I mean, I didn't see it coming, but it makes sense because someone that's enrolling early, they have no clue who their position, not only their position coach, but who the defensive coordinator is. You know, the coach can sit there and say, all right, don't worry, you know, I'll t- I'm taking care of this, don't worry, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. But that's easy, easier said than done, where he knows he can go somewhere where, where he knows what's there. Absolutely. And, I mean, there were, <laughs> there were a couple of recru- different recruiting writers out there that were hinting at a surprise recruit. Uh, that that no one was really looking at that was that we were gonna land and it turns out they were talking about Nadab Joseph. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with him, he was committed to Alabama, six one one eighty out of Miami Northwestern High School in Florida. A good player out there. Actually, I don't he he's not from Miami Northwest. He's from Norland High School, but still down there in South Florida. And uh, that was if I had to pick one guy that was a surprise, I'd probably say it was definitely him. Um. I won't say that he was completely off the radar because he's a guy that we had been recruiting. Now he was committed to Alabama. And I, I didn't think it was likely that we were going to be able to flip him, but I, he was only committed for what two weeks. Yeah, he was only there. He was only committed for a short time, and he's a guy that we had been involved with throughout the process. It wasn't like this is the first time I ever heard his name. Was, you know, when he commits. Oh my God, who's this guy? Now, I mean, this is a guy that we've been recruiting at, and I. But I just, I guess, I wasn't confident we were going to land him. I felt like he was probably going to stick with Alabama. But uh, when we when we did get the flip there, it wasn't like I was completely caught off guard. But c- compared to everyone else, I mean, I, I kind of expected everyone else, right? It was I mean, yeah, I mean, we led for everyone going into the final day. I mean, as more and more information came out, I felt confident in everyone else. But he was the one that I did, had no confidence in. Yeah, and, and it, Cade Mays, I think before the official visit here, the weekend before the signing period, uh, he might. It sounded like he might have been trending Clemson's way. It's like his mom was was on, was on the Clemson side there. But I think after the official visit, I felt pretty good about potentially landing him. I was I still wasn't sold that we were going to get him. I, I I probably had about a seventy percent confidence that we, he would pick us in the end there. So I think if I had to pick one, yeah, I think you're right there, going with the dad Joseph. All right, so Kurt, next question here, man. Talk about some of these prospects. We're going to start with the offensive side of the ball here. Who is the offensive player that we've gotten signed so far that will make the biggest year one impact on the offensive side of the ball? I'm going to go with. 
probably Jamari Salyer. That's exactly who I have in my on my in my I notes here. I would go with Zeus, but I just don't know how quick and how ready yeah. he'll be at the beginning of the season, and with the emergence of Swift. Um, and I, I think that with him not being 100 percent healthy coming into the start of the season, it's going to give someone like Holyfield, who I think is really good, a chance to you know put himself in the number two spot for a while. Um, so it'll make it more difficult for Zeus, but I think Sire's the guy um, of all the offensive linemen that's most ready, body wise, ready to come in and compete. Yeah, Jamari Sire. He, I mean, if you listen to a bunch of the recruiting analysts out there who do this for a living, and just based on what I've seen from him in a couple of different settings and what we've seen him do at the opening two years in a row against elite competition, he very well could be. And I'm not saying this 100 percent sure, but there's a lot of conversation that he might be the best offensive guard prospect in the last decade. Like potentially might be the best one in the past decade. And we'll see how it plays out at the college level. But in terms of being a high school prospect, what you're doing in camp settings and what you're doing at the high school level, um, he's he's as good as it's been in the last decade or so. And there's now we're going to have two starters coming back at the guard positions. But if anyone can displace one of those stars, probably if I had to pick right now, and we'll see how it plays out. I think Kendall Baker would be the one that's most most vulnerable, right? Probably. Yeah, not 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 a uh, no not doubt a about it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, and, and I think I also think it's the fact that um, none of the freshmen that we got this past year, uh, I don't think any of them are as good as Salier. Yeah, I mean, I I really like Justin Schaefer. I was big on Justin Schaefer. Uh, Notori Johnson, you know, he's got all the talent in the world. Uh, he's just kind of got to get his body in shape, and hopefully, he spent his redshirt season doing that. And hopefully, hopefully, he'll be ready to compete. But I just don't think either one of those guys are at Salier's level. I just I don't. Uh, and I know Kendall Baker is going to have a head start on him, and, and he's not going to—he's not going to give, give up on the fight. Baker solidified himself. Yeah, I th- well, I think he solidified himself with what we have on the roster right now. And we got guys like Notori Johnson, Redshirt, and Justin Schaefer not really ready. I think he was the best option of what we had there. But when you add a guy like Jamari Salyer into the equation, I think he's going to be the most vulnerable spot there. I think Ben Cleveland's done a really good job since he's kind of stepped into the equation here down the stretch. I don't necessarily really see him. Uh, giving that spot up, I really don't. Uh, but I'm with you. I think Jamari Sawyer is probably the guy I would go with there. Uh, Zamir White, I, I also I might have gone with him, but with the injury, it sounds like you know from everything I hear, he might be ready to start fall camp heading into the summer. I don't know if he'll be at 100 percent or anything like that. I don't want to get too uh, over anxious there, or I don't wanna get too ahead of myself. But I, I might have gone with him, but with the injury, you just, you just don't know how he's going to respond to that. Justin Fields is obviously another guy being the top dual-threat quarterback in the country. But again, Jake Fromm is the incumbent starter, and Jake Fromm is not going to just go down without a fight. That, that's just not in Jake Fromm's DNA. And I would not be surprised at all to see Jake Fromm. Um, actually, I think Jake Fromm is probably the odds. As of right now, I still think I still put the odds on him to be the starter going into the 2018 season. Now, Fields might have something to say about that. I will say if Fields doesn't enroll early, then I, I don't know how much of a chance he has. If he enrolls early, he's got a legit shot for sure. But Fromm's not just going to back off there. So I'm going to go with Salyer as well. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball and do the same thing. Who's a defensive player that you think will make the biggest year one impact? Um, Like we said earlier, either I'd probably go with Adam Anderson. So you're going to go Anderson? So I, I'm with you. I think you either Anderson or Cox. Right now, yeah, I'm going to go with Cox. I agree. I agree. It's probably one of those two guys, just and really based on pure need. Uh, we yeah, got DeAndre Walker. Else, I mean, with like safety or defensive back wise, um, you know, there's just there's a lot of competitions. We took so many guys last year yeah. where those two positions there wasn't as much. I mean, let's be real. I mean, Richard Lacan is going to take one of those positions. I feel confident saying that. Yeah, and if Gibbs gets his, you know, gets it together, he more likely will. And you yeah. still have Jr. Reed coming back. Yeah. Um, they're very high on Amir's speed. People like that. You got so. Tyreek McGee still in the equation. 
Tyree McGee, yeah. And, and um, Baker, Baker, I think there's probably a better chance than not that Baker will come back next year. More likely. I mean, he's he's raised his stock, but yeah, compared I think he'll to be some of the other guys. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I, there's a, he could go pro potentially, but I, I think he'll be back. So I, I think the need is there at the outside linebacker position. I think DeAndre Walker's probably the only guy you can pencil in as probably one of the starters there. Walter Grant got some time this year, but I don't know if he can hold off Adam Anderson and Britton Cox. I mean, maybe he can. We'll see. I mean, he's a really talented player, but these guys are legit too. If I had to pick between Anderson and Cox right now in terms of saying who's going to have the bigger year one impact, I'm going to go with Britton Cox. Now, I know that sounds – if you've been listening to the show uh, throughout the past couple months, you've heard me say multiple times, I think Adam Anderson is the best pure pass rusher in this class, and I stand by that in terms of a pure pass rusher. But right now, I just do not think Adam Anderson is big enough as it's curr- as he currently stands. Uh, yeah, I, I can see. Yeah, I just don't I think he's a three-down backer right now. I just don't. Not right uh, now. He, 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 right now, he's in the same category as... Uh, Walter Grant. Or as Walker. Yeah, 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 Walker's first couple years, where they are third-down pass rush specialist, right? And you can make an impact that way. Don't get me wrong. I think Adam Anderson will make an impact next year. I just think Britton Cox could potentially make a bigger impact because he, while I think Anderson is the better pass rusher of the two right now, I think Cox, I don't think Cox is that far behind in terms of his pass rushing ability, and he's bigger. He's about 30-ish pounds bigger than Adam Anderson is right now. He can hold up better against the run, set in the edge, uh, which would give him more of an opportunity to be a pure, a, a, I'm sorry, a true three-down linebacker. I think he's got more of a chance to be that type player in year one than Adam Anderson does coming into his freshman season. I think Anderson will grow into that player. Don't get me wrong, I think he will. But right now, he's about 215, 220 pounds, maybe. Uh, now, he gets into a strength and conditioning program. Absolutely, he's going to put on some weight and get in the nutrition program. But I just don't know if it's going to be enough in year one to make more of an impact than Britton Cox will, who's right now at about 245, 250, with great athleticism, great speed, great explosiveness off the edge. So if I had to pick one of those two, I'd probably slightly lean Cox's way, but I think Anderson will make an impact as well. All right, and the last one here, uh, before we get into a couple of different things, of the guys that we signed, there's a lot of huge names at the top, right? We laid out 10 in the top 100, a bunch of big-time guys. But there are some guys always down there. They're kind of diamonds in the rough, the bottom of the commit list. So, Kurt, of those guys, who do you think is the most underrated prospect that we signed during the early signing period? Um, hmm. Underrated? Most underrated. On offense and defense? Yeah, of all the guys. I might go with Warren Erickson. I think the okay. guy has, a, I think he has a potential to be a center. He very well could. I mean, he's, he's got the size. I mean, six four two ninety. He could definitely fit in that center mold. Uh, play- uh, because I mean, for let's be honest, I think he, he's the most not talked about prospect that we've got, especially on the offense line. Because you've got everyone else that we just signed. Yeah, he's a top three hundred player nationally, four star guy. Yeah, no, and, and like think about years past, like going back to the the late Rick years, signing a guy like Warren Erickson, we would have been really jacked about that, right? Yeah, getting a four star guy from your backyard, North Gwinnett. I mean, we've been happy about that. It just so happens now that we have Sam Pittman and Kirby Smart on board, and we're pulling the number one, number two offensive guards in the country, getting number one, number two offensive tackles. But Warren Erickson's no scrub, and I, I think that's a, that's a good pick. There. There's no doubt about it. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go down to the very bottom of the commit list, and I'm gonna take this literally. And the most underrated guy in my book is Jake Camarda, the kicker from Norcross. That's um, very yeah. yeah, and look, kickers are always rated lower than everyone else because the guys who do the, the star ratings and whatnot on these different recruiting services, they go, they, they say that they rate these guys on NFL potential and, and, and their impact on their potential impact in college. And kickers, I guess, just they don't feel like they have as much of an impact in the game because they don't play as much as some of the other guys. And I guess I get that to a degree. But a great kicker can absolutely change the complexion of any game. If you don't have one... 
just I mean, if, if, if you don't if really understand how important a kicker is, just think about if you don't have a kicker, right? Think about the early part of last year before Rodrigo kind of came on and, and solidified that job. Remember with William Ham? Oh God! Remember that? I remember Missouri. Oh, oh my God! Like it is like so. When you don't have a kicker, you realize how important they really are. And Jake Camarda is a guy that I think is going to be a very good kicker for us. Um, he's kicked multiple fifty-yard field goals in, in high school. Uh, he's and not only is he a great kicker, he's also a punter too. He potentially could come in in the future and be our kicker and our punter, which is kind of uh, uh, Oklahoma has a guy that does that right now. Cyber, their kicker, he's their kicker and punter. Camarda has that potential, don't you think? Yeah, he does. I, I mean, well, do you see him kind of coming in and taking the job from Rodrigo, or is this a guy that's going to probably be our kicker in a year or two after Rodrigo is gone? Probably a year or two. Yeah, I, I think he'll. I think he'll legitimately push Rodrigo. I really do. But Rodrigo's not a scrub either. He's going to just like all the other guys that are incumbent starters. He's going to. He's going to fight for his job. He's got a head start right now. So Kamara's going to have to be that much better than Rodrigo. It's going to have to be obvious. And maybe he will be. He's going to. He's going to come in there and compete too. Here's where I think we might see Kamara next year. I think he might be our punter next year. Oh, 100%. I mean, who yeah. else do we have? Marshall Long. I mean, I don't think Marshall Long's yeah. going to get the position. I mean, it, it, he's, he was hurt again all pretty much all of last year. I, and I just when, he, when we saw him out there in his freshman year, he wasn't really all-inspiring in any way. I think Camardi will probably be our punter next year. I think he'll bide his time. He'll, he'll push Rodrigo, and if Rodrigo falters, he'll be there to be the kicker. But once Rodrigo's gone, he'll be, I think he'll be our kicker and our punter. And if you have a guy that can do both those, and you have, and so you're, really only, you're only using one scholarship on a punter and a kicker, right? So that's valuable in itself. And a guy that's got the leg he has, the accuracy he has, uh, I think he could be one of the more underrated prospects and really help this team down the road. you got to have him, man. Nobody wants to pay attention to that. You want to talk about the quarterbacks and the running backs and the offensive tackles, and I get that. Those guys are important. But you got to have the special teams as well. I think Kamara is going to give us that down the road. All right, uh, a couple more quick questions here, Kurt. Uh, as great and deep as this class is at this point after the early signing period, are there still any holes when you're looking at our our, our commit list right now, our, I guess our signees? Are there any holes that we still need to fill between now and the first Wednesday of February? Um, we got to get one more receiver, I'd say, because of the loss of Webb. Well, yeah, I mean, especially if Webb sticks at DB, which I think he probably will. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but from everything I hear inside the program, it sounds like he's really turning some heads uh, on the practice field on the scout team. I think he could be a guy that, that sticks there long-term. So, yeah, I think definitely letting it one more receiver would be huge. We still have some guys that didn't play much, that didn't play a ton this year. J.J. Hallman didn't really play much at all, if any, really. I mean, maybe a couple snaps here and there. Matt Landers is another guy I've heard that's been tearing it up on the scout team. Uh, so we got a couple of guys there, but another receiver definitely would not hurt. Another elite receiver well, would yes, not hurt. You know, I'm, I'm expecting someone to be transferring. If it's Stanley, Chigbu, someone's going to. I would be surprised if both those guys did, to be honest. We'll see. Uh, hate you know speculate on that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. On I mean, both yeah, of. you just got to be realistic numbers yeah. wise. Yeah, I would not I, be I, shocked. I'll just say I'm expecting maybe at least one to transfer. I think that you're probably spot on there. Uh, for me though, I think receiver. That's a, that's a great point there. I think we do need to get another get, big one there. We've got a couple of guys we'll talk about here in a second who we're after. Uh, but for me, I'm going to say defensive tackle, interior defensive tackle is the spot that we still need to fill. Now we got Devontae White who was in our he was in the 2017 class but didn't qualify. Had to go, yeah, now he's he's already out practicing with the team. So that that helps, right? That's but that's the only interior defensive line that we've got signed this class. And last year we had basically nothing. Okay, essentially nothing. Wyatt was the guy, and he didn't he didn't end up in the class. Now he's in this class, which is great, but we need more than that. Okay, we can't have two years in a row. We always talk about how the SEC is a line of scrimmage league, right? And we you can't get behind. You cannot get behind. Now we've got the offensive line part taken care of, but the defensive line, we 
we cannot get behind. Now, two classes ago, you get Rochester, you get Tyler Clark, you get Mikhail Carter, you get guys like that. That's great. But you can't allow yourself, as, as well as we recruited everywhere else, you cannot get behind two years in a row on the defensive line. So to me, that's these next couple months leading to that first Wednesday of February, that's the spot I'm going to be looking at the most. We need to land an impact defensive tackle, an interior defensive lineman in the next couple months. Uh, now, Craig, the vast majority of our class, we talked about this, they, the vast majority of our guys did sign during the early signing period. we got about maybe five spots left, it looks like, to get to the max of 25, which is more of a hard cap this year. So, Kurt, there are a couple of targets out there, some big-time targets left for us in the next two months as we head into that first Wednesday of February with the February signing period. So looking at some of those targets, Kurt, who are the top three targets left on your personal wish list? On mine, I'm going Tyson Campbell. Mm. Big-time DB, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Tyson Campbell, um, Bush, I don't know why. Tommy Bush. Yeah, Tommy Bush, right? Yeah. I forgot his name for some reason. And then, um, oh, wow, I had it, but I forgot it. The, the, what position? The, uh, the, the D-tackle from Missouri, or Kansas City. Michael Thompson? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I've got two of those three on my list. So if I'm looking at it right now, the top two would be Michael Thompson, who's the number two defense attack on the country. He's out of Missouri. I think, uh, and then Rick Sanders, a guy that we've been after for a long time, and he's listed us in his top three here during the early signing period. It's us, South Carolina, North Carolina. Our biggest competition appears to be South Carolina. They've been on him a little bit longer than we have, but we have made a big push for him. I would not be shocked to sign him. And the reason I have Michael Thompson and Rick Sanders at the top there and Thompson's a guy that I, I really didn't see us mention with him until the early signing period. He's a guy, hey, I saw some things like, hey, this is a guy to look out for. But those two at the top of my list because of what I just laid out. We have to fill if – the, if there's a hole in our recruiting class right now, it's the interior of the line, and we cannot get behind. We need at least one of those guys. Now, we also have uh, Tramel Walthour out there who's been committed to us since the summer for a while now. But if we can land one of those guys, uh, do you see Walthour being a part of this class? I probably don't, and that's just it's it's the ugly side of the business. But this is a business. Kirby Smart Company are paid to win. If you can get a Michael Thompson or a Rick Sandage, Jamel Walthour, and you, by not signing early, he might have let himself out of this class. So I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. So those are my top two, and then my my number three here. And the only reason he's number three is because I just think defensive tackle is a spot that we have to fill. Is the guy you mentioned, Tommy Bush, six foot five, wide receiver out of Texas, tall, lanky guy, really good speed for that size. Goes up and gets the ball in the air, really high points the ball. Uh, he just gives us that that big target, kind of replaced Javon Wims with that size. He's not quite as thick in terms of his body as, as Wims, but he's, he's about the same height as Wims. And probably a little bit faster than Wims, maybe at this stage. Uh, so, I, and he's a guy that was here on an official visit. And from all accounts, we kind of we kind of knocked out of the park with him. So I think we're heavily involved here. You know, you, you would think from. Be, him being from Texas, Texas would be heavily involved. But from what I understand, Texas is not really a factor in his recruitment. So I think there's a really good chance we land him. Uh, and then I, if I had a number four guy, I'd go with who you also had, Tyson Campbell. He was on my top five wish list a couple weeks back when we did that show. But he's a, a potential, I don't want to say shutdown core. I don't think those guys exist anymore with, with the way the rules are structured to favor offenses. But I think he's a guy that, that could definitely help us in the defensive backfield. Uh, looking at Tommy Bush, Kurt, do you think that's why – like a lot of you know, early in the day, uh, Ole Miss, you know, they 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 quote unquote flip Elijah Moore. All you see all these people talking about, oh, Ole Miss flipped, they flipped Elijah Moore from Georgia. I actually had a buddy, love him to death, but he texted me early in the morning, man, how did they how did Ole Miss flip Elijah Moore from? This is like, well, because we, in my opinion, that was a mutual parting of ways. Is that how you see it? 
Yeah, we pretty much told him you'd be better off to look elsewhere. Yeah, and, and he was committed to Ole Miss before us, so it kind of just makes sense. Probably work out for, if we land Tommy Bush, it'll work out probably best for both parties. And I think that's a reason why we uh, were kind of maybe encouraging Elijah Moore behind the scenes to potentially look somewhere else because I think with Bush's official visit, we felt like we knocked it out of the park and we're kind of put ourselves in a really good position there. So, I mean, th- anything can happen over the next two months, but I feel that we have a really good chance to land him, which would be a, a hu- another huge boost to this class. All right, Kurt. Uh, so we have number three in 2017. We signed a number three class. We just, as of right now, we have the number one class in the 2018 season, and that's back-to-back seasons. So number three, number one, back-to-back seasons. When you start to fill out your roster with depth and talent at almost every position, it becomes a harder sell. Your pitch has to has to change a little bit. So I guess my question for you is, Kurt, now that we – because for a while we were selling playing time. You come in here. You, you can be our guy. You're the kind of player. We don't, we don't have those kind of players. Well, it's hard to sell that now. So with a change in the recruiting pitch, it's going to be necessary with, with the future classes. How sustainable is this level of recruiting moving forward for our program? I think it's very sustainable. I mean, I think some of these positions where we're getting these kids, look at the offensive line. Absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't sustainable, we just signed a huge offensive line class last year, right? Yeah, so, I mean, that, and that's the thing. I mean, you've already got Andrew Thomas and Trench, and you got Isaiah Wilson, people like that. And Notorious Johnson, Mark- Justin Schaefer. Yeah, and we still go out. I mean, like you said, we got Justin Schaefer and Notorious Johnson. We got two freshmen at the guard position getting uh, meaningful snaps this year. And, uh, um, and we signed a yeah, potentially even better offensive line class this year, maybe. We'll yeah. see how, how it turns out. So, uh, I, I honestly, I think with the fact that you have, I have all the faith in the world in Kirby Smart. Don't you? I mean, yeah. at this stage. So for me, it, the question of is this a sustainable level of success for us on the recruiting front? I think absolutely. Why would it not be? The what is what has Kirby Smart done to give us any reason to doubt him on the recruiting front? I mean, t- to me, it's, it's crazy to doubt him in any way. So with when you have who, in my opinion, is the best recruiter in America as your head coach and a guy who understands the importance of recruiting has been doing this year in and year out for a decade plus and has put together an entire staff of great recruiters. And I know we'll probably end up losing some of these guys eventually, but I have complete faith in Kirby to replace them with guys that can do the same job. Uh, so I just I, I don't see any reason why we would slow down, especially when you factor in the in-state recruiting base that we have in the state of Georgia. Those high school players in the state of Georgia, they ain't going anywhere, guys. So why would we go anywhere on the recruiting front if we have Kirby Smart at the helm in year two already playing in the, in the college football playoff I just I, I don't see why it should change, I, and I'm not saying we're gonna have the number one class every single year, but I don't see any reason why we should not be in the top three year in year out for the next I don't know five six seven eight years, and who knows maybe even further than that. All right, Kurt. Last question here on signing day. So again, this was an epic, potentially historic signing day, one that we will likely never forget. I guess unless this becomes the norm, and even if this does become the norm, you're gonna remember this one, right? Because it was the first one, right? Yes. So I don't think this is one that we're ever going to forget. But regardless, it's a huge day for our program. So I guess in the end, Curtis, signing a class like this, what does letting this type of signing class mean for our program? Um, I think it just makes Georgia the place to be, really, especially if you're an in-state kid. I think it gives us a lot of momentum going forward. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. For me, I know this is going to sound crazy because we are in the college football playoff right now, and it, and all these guys that we have signed right now, yes, they're all prospects, and they haven't played a down in college football yet. But still, I, I think it's fair to say, I think landing in class like this, landing in the number three class the year before, I think what this means for me is that, as crazy as it sounds, the team that we have playing in the college football playoff in the Rose Bowl here in a week's time, 
I think that's going to be the least talented team that we're going to field in the next five to six years. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I mean, really, if you think about how we recruited last year, how we recruited this year, how, we already, how we've already started the 2019 class off, as good as we've been this year, getting ourselves to the college football playoff, as many talented players as we have, guys like Roquan Smith, Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, uh, Jake Fromm, Lorenzo Carter, all these guys, as good as they've been, I really truly believe, deep down, that this is going to be the least talented team we're going to have in the next five to six years. I really believe that. And that, yeah, people talking about we're going to lose all these seniors. I'm sorry, but we're replacing them with – I'm not sure what we mean, but better players other than the More talented back. players. Yeah. I mean, when you lose a guy like Dominic Sanders, I mean, he's got a ton of experience and he's been there, done that. But when you replace a guy like Dominic Sanders but with potentially a guy like Richard LeCount, the talent of those two prospects is not even close. Yeah, now, someone who can actually tackle. Right, and I'm not saying that right now Richard LeCount's a better player than Dominic Sanders. If he was, he'd be playing. But he's a more talented player. His ceiling is significantly higher than what Dominic Sanders. And I'm just using those two as an example here. So I think you're right. Yes, we're going to lose some experience, but the guys that we're putting in their place are, in my opinion, significantly more talented. Now, there, there are going to be some bumps and bruises along the way, but I have faith in Kirby Smart and staff to get these guys ready to play. And when you have a talent like that, dude, somebody lights out. So I just, I'm excited about where we are right now as a program, but I think we're just going to be even more talented in the future. I really believe that. And for the rest of the country, the rest of the SEC East, that has to be a scary thought. That has to be. And that's I think that's a big reason why you see a lot of the, the team, a lot of our rivals in the East and throughout the SEC kind of talking down about us. Well, Georgia's going to be losing a bunch. They're not going to be that good next year. It's because that's all they can tell themselves. What else can they tell themselves, right? I mean, there's just nothing else. Because we're, we're dominating them on the field. We're dominating them on the recruiting, on the recruiting front, which is going to lead to more dominance on the field. So we're just we're leaving them behind. That's the bottom line. We're leaving everyone behind in the SEC East. I think we're going to run away this division for years to come. I really believe that. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here on Christmas Eve. Again, apologize for being a little late with this show. I was out of town. Uh, Kurt was out of town a little bit. We finally were able to get together a little bit here on uh, on Christmas Eve. So, hope everyone enjoys the holidays. Uh, well, obviously, if you're listening to the show, we'll have it up on Tuesday. But uh, hope everyone had a great time over the holidays with your family. We'll ha- check back with us later this week. We'll have a full official Rose Bowl preview. I had the uh, Rose Bowl by the numbers, all the stats early or last week. We'll have a full Rose Bowl preview for you guys later in the week, so make sure to check back with us. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.